You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. As always, I am your host, Ben Wolf. Uh, we're going to learn from our guests today what to do when the people who got you here can't get you there. That is the main subject of the, of the episode today. And with that, I want to remind everybody to pause this for a second, subscribe, leave a review wherever it is that you are listening to or watching this because it definitely helps get the content that we're sharing here and the information more accessible to more people with the fancy algorithms and everything. So please pause, you know, pause, leave a review, like, follow, whatever they call it on the platform that you're on. Uh, so I appreciate that. And with that, I want to get into introducing our guest today. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of startups.com, an education community and a place with tools that help startups launch faster. Uh, he has started nine companies, one of which grew in the years post-sale to several billion dollars in revenue. Uh, at uh, startups.com, they actually have thousands of high-quality founders there and startup uh, owners and founders there, uh, and actually recently started emphasizing and creating groups, like peer advisory groups of eight highly curated founders in each group. And so definitely recommend you check out startups.com. Uh, consider getting into one of those peer advisory groups. Uh, he is the co-host of the Startup Therapy Podcast, you can again find out more about him and all of he, all that he's up to and the resources he makes available to entrepreneurs, founders, and startup folks uh, at startups.com. And with that, I give you Will Schroeder. Welcome, Will. Thanks for having me, Ben. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks for coming on. And I guess I want to start with, like I do with all people, is if you could just quickly give us like a two-minute background on where you came from and how you got to be what you're doing now. Sure. Uh a lot of people have a, a fairly coherent story about how they got to where they are. I, I do not. Uh, well, same here. Don't worry. I, I, I mean, <laughs> as, as, as a lot of founders, uh, you know, some have uh, went to school, kind of graduated, went on to do great things, you know, joined an incubator, raised money, et cetera. Uh, I have kind of none of those. Uh, my entrepreneurial journey started um, as a failed actor. <laughs> I was, wow. Uh, yeah. I was 19 years old. Uh, I was a theater major in college, uh, not because I wanted to be a theater major, it was just because it was the dumbest curriculum I could possibly take, and it seemed like the only way I could make it through college. I'd love to tell you again that it was, it was, it was more, uh, more intentional, but it wasn't. Uh, and so, wow. part of that, I, I became a commercial actor, uh, doing commercials and stuff like that. In really bad commercials, thankfully, no one's ever heard of and never will see. Uh, uh, this Unless is a, you put them on YouTube. No, no, no. This is early '90s. This is uh, you had to have your VCR ready at the time if you were. Uh, if you're gonna I get know people that could convert them. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully nobody <laughs> ever does. So, uh, but what happened was, you know, in, in the in the early '90s, uh, I was one of the few people that understood how to build a web page. And so in '94, I started what was essentially one of the first web design companies called Blue Diesel, um, mm. and uh, we were building some of the first websites uh, on the internet commercially. And uh, started that company when I was 19, uh, the one you referenced. Uh, that grew very quickly. Uh, we ended up growing into about a $700 million company uh, without raising wow. any money uh, in about seven years. And we sold it in uh, wow. at the end of the 90s or early 2000s. Uh, and it's about a six or $7 billion company. It's 20 years ago. I don't remember anymore. And I have nothing to do with that outcome. Uh, but but after that, you know, I really uh, started to, to fall in love with startups and starting companies. So I started an incubator, essentially. Um, and my idea was that, hey, if I can build one company and it's great, how about 10? Uh, right. 
TLDR, dumbest idea and thesis that I ever had. <laughs> it, it was working until it wasn't. Uh, I ended up basically creating another agency TLDR. that we- I never heard someone <laughs> say TLDR about their own. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always start with the end. Uh, and it's <laughs> so funny. I ended up starting all of these companies that had kind of an agency model where the same team worked on all the different companies. And mm -hmm. it was very efficient. It worked well and we made some money. But in short order, I had five or six companies that I was running at the same time, which to be fair was the intent, but I was still running five or six companies at the same time. I always equate it to take whatever job you have that you're killing yourself and imagine at the end of the day, you had to go do it five more times. <laughs> That's kind of what my life does was not like. sound like fun. <laughs> yeah, it was miserable. Uh, it nearly killed myself quite literally. Uh, toward the end of that era, about 10 years afterward, um, I ended up consolidating, taking all of that knowledge I had gained through living all these parallel lives of being a startup founder and focusing it into helping other founders through startups.com. That was nearly 10 years uh -huh. ago. And thankfully, that's all I've been doing since. Well, that, that, is quite, that is quite a story. And, you know, so I'm sure that you've run across this main like topic that we're going to talk about today yeah. um, a few times in your own companies and with other people. But, you know, so we're talking about like who got you here can't get you there. I mean, you know, there's, there's a famous expression. I mean, it's with the who it's famous also, but, you know, what got you here isn't going to get you there. Obviously with EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System that I'm sure helping my clients with is that that's what it's all about is like helping them here. Here's how you do it. Here's how the bigger companies or the entrepreneurial companies do it. So you can scale to the next level. Sure. Um, but you have the same issue with who got you here. Can't always get you there. People with the skill set for a $500,000 company, a one or $2 million company can't necessarily do that. When you get to the 10, 20, 30, 40, $50 million range or larger organizations. So the, as the first piece of that general topic, talk of, if talk if you can about uh, what happens when you, the founder of the company, are one of those people who got you here but isn't doing such a great get job getting you where you want to go. Yeah, I think it, every founder pretty much runs into this problem in some version, because remember, as founders, there's no like linear path to becoming a founder. You just become a founder and one day all of a sudden you own the company and all of a sudden one day you're in charge of all these people and resources. Maybe, maybe you were an executive at your previous life, usually not by the way, um, and you're used to kind of that level of responsibility. What you're not used to, kind of no matter who you are, is that everything stops with you, right? So you're as good at marketing as the people you can find, but in the early days, you're as good at marketing as you are at marketing. You're as good at finance as you are at marketing and, and everything kind of rate limits back to you. Again, sometimes you're lucky enough to find a couple people who can accelerate you a bit, but generally speaking, it all comes back to you, which means by definition, you top out pretty quickly, right? right? As soon as the organization hits any level of growth or need, it always maps back to whether you have the capability to continue to carry the team forward. And usually we don't. It's kind of a fake it till you make it type, uh, you know, mission for most folks. And, and sometimes we make it through, you know, sometimes we weather the storm. A lot of times we don't and the organization gets stuck and we don't even see it coming. We don't understand that we are the rate limiter. Right. So, I mean, so what do people do? What do you do? Well, it's a couple things. The hardest thing, kind of, you know, where people get stuck the most 
is like I said, they don't understand where they're holding things up. They're often, you know, we talk to a lot of founders. They often believe they're holding something up. They just don't know what. I'll give you an mm -hmm. example. Yeah. Early in my career, when we were starting this company, this web agency that I mentioned called Blue Diesel, um, I was super young. I started the company when I was 19. So to be fair, and I also had nothing to do with business. So I had no idea what I was doing or how I even got into this business thing. So I was 100% hyper aware that I was over my skis the entire time. However, as the business started to build and create some momentum, uh, the, the business started to have real asks. We had a sales pipeline that needed to be established and maintained. Mm -hmm. I'd never established and maintained a sales pipeline. I didn't even know what that word meant at the time. Um, we had uh, finance to deal with. I never made it past my freshman year in, in uh, algebra, much less understand how to, to run finance, right? right? I had no idea what I was doing. Funny side note, I'm the CFO of our company now, so needless <laughs> to say, I figured it out. Uh, <laughs> when you put dollar signs in front, of, in front of those numbers, all of a sudden, they made a lot more to me. Uh, right, but, but, motivation. Yeah, exactly. But what happened was, and what triggered me, was that we were going to client meetings and we were having a lot of client engagements with bigger and bigger clients. We, start, we were starting to land clients like BMW and Best Buy and in wow. larger uh, organizations. And it was the early days where you could do that because no one knew what they were doing. However, the clients started to have all these asks of us. They started to want to know, you know, uh, what does your chronology for the work look like? And I'm like, a, a chrono what? Right? And, and, <laughs> and they were saying, you know, what terms should we bill you on? I was like, I don't know the terms where you pay me. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? Now, it, wow. it, it's, it's hilarious now because we can look back and laugh at it. Right. I got to be honest. At the time. It wasn't terribly hilarious at the time. Right. And let's just say among the staff that I was cobbling together, it wasn't terribly hilarious to them. Mind you, I was, let's say, by the time we caught stride in the business, maybe 22, 23, right. figuring it out as I go. Imagine you're how old I am now, which is 46, and I've got a wife and two kids, and you're working for that idiot, and you're walk, coming home to your wife being like, this guy has no idea what he's doing. And like our, like our kids' uh, college you know, future, uh, the, the, the cash for their, their tuition rides on this, right? So it was very apparent to me, and it bubbled back very quickly, that I was way underqualified to do our job. And so I had to start looking around for help. Now, here's where it gets tricky. First off, I literally don't know what I don't know. Right. Like, like Ben, if I were to call you. You don't know what to look for. Oh, my God. I, I had no idea. How do you interview people when you don't even know what you're supposed to be doing? Right. How do you, how do you uh, get somebody to, to agree that this is a great opportunity when the guy that's hiring him was in high school homeroom a few years ago? Right. I mean, wow. zero credibility. Um, now, we motored through it, but here's what's important. I, I learned some valuable lessons. The first lesson I learned way later on, long past the point where we even sold the company, was that no one is cut out for this. We all just do a different version of foundering our way through this business, right? Uh -huh. In other words, there's nobody with all the answers. I thought there was this Yoda that I would hire that would just right. show me the ways of the force and teach me doesn't exist. You, you have people that are more qualified to answer certain problems. We hired a CFO. He was super qualified, right? We hired a creative director. He was super qualified, right? But there was no one person that just came in and gave me all the answers to the test. And I thought there was. And for a long time, I was kind of looking for this total solution.
we try so guess, to hire. All right. Yeah. So number, I mean, your number one point is that you have to you have to accept the you have to accept the fact that you don't know. But you know what? That's very normal for your situation. And number two is that you are going to have to figure stuff out, even if you're hiring or bringing in other people to help, uh, because the, there's, there's no silver bullet. Here's the trick with that, though, Ben. If if you and I are sitting here and I'm interviewing you for a CFO position and I know nothing about finance, right? And you're explaining to me what you know and a bolt of lightning hits you. It makes you twice as smart about finance. I still have no idea what you're talking about, right? It, like the problem is we're fundamentally underqualified to even seek out the people who have the answers because we have no way of making sure that they actually do. Right. What results is lots and lots and lots of misfires. But founders don't mm. understand that. They don't understand that's part of the game. It's kind of like dating in your early days. You have so what do you think? So what are people thinking then when that happens, when it's like frustrating, even after you brought on somebody to help that's supposed to solve a problem? First person we brought on, the first person to replace me, a CEO, uh, had all the credentials, had agency experience, had uh, tons of domain experience for the clients that we were working with. I mean, he checked every box. Uh, super kind of uh, buttoned up. I was not. Um, and ready to go. He shows up and I'm like, okay, finally, the organization can run the way it's supposed to. A few weeks go by, everyone's like, ha, huh, we finally have an adult running this company. And I'm like, hey, cool. We finally have an adult. Like, this sounds good to me. But here's what I didn't account for. No one liked him, mm. right? So as, as weeks turned into months, months turned into almost a year, what turned out to be the perfect hire turned out to be an absolute disaster. And started to, we started to deal with all this attrition in the company because all I was looking for was an adult in the room. Didn't even occur to me. I should also look for somebody people like. Sounds obvious now. Was not at the time. Right. We repeated this exercise of Will finds his replacement three more times over five years. Never wow. pulled it off. Uh, wow. Also, not an easy transition with this, when the CEO leaves, comes back, leaves, comes back. It, it was a total disaster. We right. made it work, but... Uh, I, I didn't realize what I was good at and I didn't realize what I was bad at. I just knew somebody else should be doing it. And I was wildly underqualified to hire my replacement. So what do you do? <laughs> well, I mean, here, here was the, the trick. I thought that what we would do was we would hire this, this one super person that would come in right. and figure everything out. And then I, then I would come to learn later that that person generally doesn't exist. What I should have been looking for was a series of support people to support each of the different areas that I needed help in. Someone mm -hmm. in finance, someone in ops, someone in HR, someone, et cetera. I was looking for the, the almighty generalist. Right. Do those people exist? They do, few and far between in, in retrospect. Um, but I think for folks that are, that are in this position, that are starting to say, hey, again, I'm over my skis. I kind of need to get a better feel for how to run this thing because it's not exactly me. I would say don't discount you. Don't assume because you don't know finance, you're, you're wholly unfit to be a CEO or founder. I wouldn't say that just because you don't understand a sales pipeline or you don't understand the creative process or branding or sourcing or whatever it is that you're not good at, it's one facet of what you're not good at. No one's good at all these things. We all hire lieutenants to take care of all those other pieces. So start divvying it up and look for what, you know, look at the, the, the pieces that you're not good at, look for the people that can fill in appropriately. All right. So I want, I want to come back to that in terms of filling those seats, but 
before I got to that, I, I wanted to stick on this topic of, of who got you here won't get you there when, okay, yeah. let's say we talked about when it's, when you feel it's you, right? Mm-hmm. What sure. about when you already know that it's someone else, you know, that you, got, you, you started off with somebody maybe as a CFO, they came with you from the beginning, they, you know, took a course, watched a bunch of YouTube videos, whatever, figured out finance, accounting, bookkeeping, whatever. But then, you know, at some point you're at, you know, you're at 2 million, 5 million, 10 million. And it's just like, you, you know, you should be getting more here or if there's more to be done and you just, sure, you know, you're just not sure that person could do it anymore or with any position. What do you do when somebody who's loyal, who's a great person, they were there from the beginning and you're just not sure they're doing it anymore or they're able to do it anymore? Sure. It's brutal. Uh, what we call it in the startup world is shedding your skin, kind of like a snake sheds its skin. Mm. The organization sheds its skin numerous times, in fact. Also something they don't put in the brochure ahead of time that, that you know, as to startup founders would have really loved to have known. The way it works is we all hire the players for the team that make sense for the, the, the size and the skill of the team at that time. Right. Invariably, you're going to graduate. If you're doing things right, you're going to graduate. And with that graduation, a few people will make it and a few people won't. Here's what always happens. What always happens is you get a few people that have unique skill positions. That's almost always a developer or somebody in technology who there's three people on the team. And at the time they insist on being the CTO. No one ever asks, have you ever been a CTO before? But everyone seems to claim the title pretty quickly. To be fair, the founder got the CEO title by spending $100 to incorporate an LLC. So fair. <laughs> when we were giving out titles, they weren't hard to come by at the time. Right. The, the only problem is for the CTO, for the CFO, for the CMO, et cetera, there are people that will then go out, will reach out to, to replace that person or to, to add uh, you know, some horsepower to that title that aren't them. And it is so hard to tell the person that was CTO and, and had the business card and updated their LinkedIn and told all their friends that they were CTO, that they're not CTO anymore, right? right. And here's the worst part. They could have done everything right along the way. Let's say you're 25 years old, you join an organization. Organization is maybe raising seed round, looking to series A, et cetera. And this isn't just about fundraising, it's just about kind of uh, speed and velocity of, of change. In the early days, you could only afford to hire 10 people. So whoever knew finance was going to be a CFO, whoever knew marketing could be a CMO, technology, et cetera. And so everybody got those titles. But almost in every case, none of those people had held those titles in previous positions, which Mm -hmm. is part of the appeal of even taking the job early to be able to kind of level up in the title game. The difference is when the organization grows so quickly in, in one to two years, where it starts needing the leadership and experience of people who have had those titles and have earned those titles through kind of the fires of entrepreneurship or through the corporate ladder. Then all of a sudden that person says, well, yeah, I mean, I never really did this job before. I was just the smartest, you know, insert your position, uh, whatever it was. And therefore, you know, I was at the top of the, of the uh, stack. Now we actually need somebody who has true CFO skills, right? Who's right. maybe done fundraising or understands, you know, the, the intimate details of, of costing and supply chain as far as, you know, how to uh, play that out. And this person doesn't. The person has two options. Either take what you typically becomes a VP role or, you know, something lesser 
and kind of, you know, make room for their new boss, which sucks by the way, there's nothing cool about it. Um, or they leave. And I gotta be honest in more cases than not, what I see is they leave because it's a bit of an ego thing. You know, it's kind of hard to go right. from C-level yeah. person down to VP. It feels like a career step back, even if it's not. But, you know, most people kind of can't absorb the difference. Right. Do you see, I'm curious, do you see what happens to those people after, like when they leave and they, you know, have like one, two, three, four years of CFO experience, but then, you know, they try to, you know, let's say go to something lateral to that. Do you, I mean, I don't know if you hear these stories, but do you see what happens to those people afterwards? I do because, you know, often these people are on my own team. You know, I've been through nine startup companies and, and uh, mentored countless others. So I've been through this conversation quite a few times. Right. And here's kind of how I try to couch it. I try to be sensitive to the fact these are people's careers, they're their lives. You know, there's some ego at stake, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. And I say, look, if you know that you're a CFO, just apply for CFO jobs, right? Apply for three CFO jobs with your resume and see if anybody gives you a job offer, right? And that's not to suggest that I really want them to waste their time. I want them to understand that it's not pound for pound just because you got a title awarded to you at, at one company that you are there, therefore qualified to do that same job everywhere else. Again, often the title is kind of BS, right? right. You got it because you're the only person in the room when the title was given out, not because you 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 had to you know earn all your Cub Scout badges on the way right. up to getting it. Um, and it's right. not the same thing. It's the same for CEOs. If you're a 25-year-old CEO and you just ran out of money, and you're like, oh, cool, I'm just going to you know, look for C CEO jobs. It doesn't work that way. You had a fake title, right? But a lot of people don't understand that. They assume if, if you get it, then that just transfers everywhere, and it just doesn't, not true at all. Right. No, it's, it's, good. it's good for people to hear. I mean, you know, and I, I guess you hope that they could go to a VP of finance title or whatever, you know, VP of sales and as opposed to the CFO or CSO. And I guess hope, you know, they could do that and then, and then earn their way back up at some point later on. I, I think for a lot of folks, Ben, uh, like I said, they don't quite understand the fact that um, getting the title and earning the title aren't the same thing. Mm -hmm. Earning the title isn't, hey, I worked really hard and so I get it. Earning the title is I have the market experience to back up what people commonly believe that title to be. And most people, again, early in startups, when they're giving out titles or they're early in their career, they're just not there yet. Nobody's fault. That's just the way it is. Where that becomes difficult is the title's meaningful to those folks, as it should be. And when you have to essentially demote them for having done nothing wrong, the organization has gotten bigger than what they could do. Here's an example. In the early days of Airbnb, I could have acted as a CFO. You know what? I would have probably done a fairly good job, right? Um, I understand finance. I understand how to kind of, you know, work a P&L or an income statement in order to make it work for the company. I can have a, a marketing discussion or a tech discussion and immediately translate that, that into how it's going to deal, uh, deal with our finances, which is wonderful. However, there is a threshold where Airbnb was growing and Brian Chesky was going to need more than just uh, the guy who can kind of manage an income statement. And he's going to need somebody that can talk to uh, investors. He's going to need uh, at the public level to be able to do, you know, investor relations, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I haven't done that. Right. I don't right. even know what that means. Right. If, if the uh, analyst started calling me, you know, on a, an earnings call and said, Hey, what about this? What about this? I'd be totally lost. Right. right. 
Now, I may have done everything right to get us to the point where we can even have an analyst discussion as right. a public company, but I've long since, you know, uh, out, out, uh, lived my, my status, if you will, or my contribution. And I have to go into that. And this is speaking to the folks that are in these roles now. I have to go into that knowing that there's probably an eject moment where I have to eject gracefully and let somebody else come in. Right. No, it's really helpful. I think this is really, really important stuff to, for people to hear. And I don't, I don't think we've really zeroed in on this topic before on the show. So I'm really glad you're talking about that. And, and one last thing, and it also relates to another solution to this issue of what happens when the people who got you here can't get you there. And that's fractional leadership. I mean, it's one of my big focuses now, I'm writing a book on the topic. Yeah. Um, and so if you could say a little bit about, you know, how have, how have you used or what experiences have you had bringing in fractional leaders on any area, whether it's marketing, sales, operations, finance, or technology, bring in people with a lot of experience, but not full time to kind of solve that right people, right seat issue. You know, it's interesting in the startup world, we just call that hiring right. <laughs> because that's how we do it. Um, not full time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have the money to hire people full-time. And so I, I've had countless interviews, so to speak, with folks where I have no intention of hiring them today. We don't have the money. You know, we're not far, far enough along, but I need their expertise. So I'm talking to a CMO and that CMO has, you know, phenomenal expertise, but she makes 200K. There's no way I could possibly afford her. You know, I'm in maybe my seed round or my early stages of bootstrapping, mm -hmm. but I need to figure out how to get some of her time, some of her attention um, to help me through some critical decisions. How do I do it? The most obvious way that folks use, that startups use, is to assign that person as an advisor. An advisor, it's such an easy way to, to rope somebody in, right? And kind of get them engaged without having to, to float the full bill. Uh, an advisor will typically get maybe a quarter point of equity, you know, nothing crazy, mm -hmm. or maybe a two-year window. You know, it's called how they, they vest it. And at that point, I can use that person's time with, with feeling like there's some level of payment. And really, early equity is the only kind of uh, currency I have at that point. Mm -hmm. But it does a few things. You know, this, this, this fractional leadership isn't just about how they you know, uh, put in a fraction of their time. It's also about building a roadway to a relationship. See, let's say that I need this CMO. And again, she's this you know, miracle CMO that's coming out of uh, Amazon, right? There's no way I could possibly afford her in a million years, but I'm building a retailer of my own and I just need to download all of her intel. The truth is I don't need her to run my campaigns, right? Anybody could run my pay-per-click campaign, et cetera. I need her to tell me what's around every corner that I'm about to, to pass. Mm -hmm. I need her to tell me, hey, Will, uh, before you launch your campaign, you're going to have to have partnerships with this company, this company, and this company. And by the way, here are the contacts that you need to talk to. I'll send an email. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost her maybe 15 minutes of her time right. and save me a year of mine. Right. Right. What I'm looking for in all those relationships, Ben, is I'm looking for just that, that Jedi level intel about a specific subject matter area that I don't have that I just need them to warn me, forewarn me, to tell, tell me, look, uh, here are all the places you're about to misstep, right? That guidance is, is worth its weight in gold. Right. What a lot of people think about is I need to do marketing, let's say, or it could be technology, whatever it is. I need to do marketing. 
And therefore, I need to hire a full-time person to do all of the work and all of the strategy. Here's yeah. the thing. Rarely the same person, right? Especially in the early formative years. Right. Almost every role has two sides to it. One is strategy or just kind of, again, knowing the answers to the tests. And the other is just grunt work. Problem is people think I need a CMO because I want the strategy, but you don't want that person doing your grunt work. Yeah, it doesn't make sense anyway. Right. Some of it, it could be for the grunt work, I'm going to hire somebody on Fiverr to do that. I just need the CMO to tell me exactly what work they should be doing. Right. And so typically what I do, uh, again, having gone through this or having helped lots of other startups do the same, is I, I lay out the work, exactly what I'm looking for somebody in this role to do. And I divide it. And I say, here's work that's just rote grunt work that anybody could do if they were told what the task is. And by the way, that's typically most of it, as mm -hmm. you can see. Over here, just things I don't know. I'm going to go look to find an advisor that can fill in those blanks. And that's where the, the fractional leadership kind of works for me because mm -hmm. it gives me the strategy I need without burning all the cycles that that person simply doesn't have or I can't pay for. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you, you know, all the stuff that you're sharing about what to do when I can't do it by myself or you have, you know, people on your team that you love and they, you know, like you said, they didn't do anything wrong. They just, you know, didn't have experience at, at the scale that you're at before this. So I appreciate all, all of that, the guidance, the knowledge, and, and for you coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me, Ben. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, thank you very much. And th we will see everybody else on the other side. Thank you. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.